Woman telling her story. Come on, from the heart of the mystery, dispelling years of violence. We are breaking the silence. All right, hello, welcome to the Blue Butterfly Podcast, episode three. I am your host, Ruby Michaelitis, and today we are here with the beautiful Kelly. Um, specifically, we're going to be talking about sexual abuse within the intellectual and psychosocial disability community. Um, and Kelly here is an autism specialist who is able to tell us a little bit more about it. Um, just a content warning, some of these topics will be triggering, so just keep that in mind. And welcome, Kelly. Hi, thanks for having me. Would you like to introduce and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep, uh, so my name is Kelly. Um, I run a business uh, that supports autistic women and their families. Um, so women generally are late diagnosed and are caring for autistic children. Um, I have a lived experience in both autism and uh, a survivor of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a mother and yeah, have three beautiful children. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, the fact that you're able to balance all of that and being a mom as well. I mean, how do you do it? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I just do it. Um, you know, I have been able to draw upon I guess my disabilities and yeah. use the strengths from that, the, you know, the skills that I can gain from that uh, and do that. So um, being autistic and ADHD, um, I can be hyper-focused on my special interest and this happens to fall within my special interest. So, you know, my business has been able to grow uh, because of that passion and, you know, my hyper-focusedness yeah. <laughs> into that. Yeah, so have you, I mean, obviously this is confidential, but have you worked with women who have had um, sexual assault or abuse? Yeah, I, disability? I, I find that a lot of the women that come to me have a history of mm. sexual abuse um, and trauma, um, whether that's um, disclosed in detail or it's just, you know, I can pick up that there's a trauma background there. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be um, really high in the population of women that I'm supporting yeah. that they do have their own sort of experience in that. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of statistics, they say that 46% of women with cognitive disabilities and 50% with psychosocial will experience some sort of sexual abuse or assault. Uh from 15 years old onwards. Why do you think that rate is so high? Um, It's definitely down to communication. Um, And, you know, we know that communication is a two-way street. So it's um, not just somebody's ability to expressively communicate, but also their uh, sort of understanding. So if they're in a situation where they don't actually cognitively understand what's happening and what... Um, the you know by by being somewhere or saying yes to something at a certain time, what that then could lead to. Um, 
Thank you so much. 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 Thank you you know, camouflaging, um, you know, you know, being that, uh, uh, Serbian, um, you know, that Serbian woman that's just, you know, yes, I'll, I'll do what I'm told because that's what I'm meant to do and, you know, masking and... Yeah, and that fawn response. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think it's a, it's not an easy answer. It's not just, oh, it's because of this or it's because of that. Um, it is very complicated yeah um i also think the lack of education that women get or just in general the lack of education that uh people get around consent giving informed consent um being able to withdraw consent at any time um you know i know i having a 15 year old son i think the education is better than what it was but it's still not it's still not where it needs to be. Yes. Um, I know going through school, uh, the what I was taught did not prepare me for, um, you know, adulthood and, you know, being safe in that space. Um, and then, you know, I experienced different things in my teenage years that now as an adult, I'm now, you know, th- there's trauma there. So even as an adult, being a, you know, the education that I have now is so much better. And, you know, um, intellectually, I I can give informed consent, but the damage is done. And, you know, I will, no matter how much work I do, I will still from time to time fall back into the, you know, I'm a scared teenager again. And, you know, and I know that when it comes to you know exploring relationships as an adult I can't you know I'm not an I don't have an adult brain to explore that relationship I go back to that you know 14 year old girl yes and so now I'm trying to make adult decisions with the 14 year old girl's brain and the it's it just doesn't match so do you feel that when it comes to women with um, disabilities, when they experience that trauma, so do you think they kind of become emotionally stunted in a way, which can also increase their vulnerability? Yeah, I, I think when you're dealing with uh, women that have a, any kind of cognitive disability, um, they're already struggling with meeting the uh, like requirements that an adult would be able to meet. Um, sorry, that's all right. Yeah, so you've got these women that are already cognitively struggling to, you know, live up to adult expectations or not expectations, adult um, requirements. Um, yeah requirements that's a good word yeah yeah um but then you know their communication might be at you know a 10 year old's level so you know their brain profile i guess you'd call it might actually be a lot lower and then 
you're making or, or the expectation is that they're able to then make adult decisions mm-hmm. but you wouldn't expect a 10 year old to be able to make that decision but that yeah. might be where they are at cognitively so the you know it, even I think when it comes to women and I've heard a lot of stories about this where women have consented to different things um, but could they actually consent could they give informed consent and if they're cognitively a fifth, like a 10 year old then no they can't give yeah. informed consent so whether something has happened that they were okay with happening or wanted to happen there is then question around could they make that consent in the first place yeah um, so you know you then add all of the the people pleasing that normally happens in the the form response and you know it just adds all these extra layers to just it, it, even as simple as being able to consent yeah before you get into that stuff that happens that doesn't even involve consent yeah so that's a really good like that's a really good point we need to discuss more so do you feel there needs to be more strategies or even awareness around what consent looks like for people with um cognitive or uh psychosocial disabilities yeah i I definitely think there does need to be a lot more education just even around consent before we even go in any deeper is just consent and you know something you know my children i've got 15 year old son but then i have girls so my girls are a lot younger so they're currently eight and six um even when they're playing together i've actively always sort of been with them that they have to give consent to to something as simple as that so my kids have grown up knowing hey at any time i can say no and if they're playing a game or whatever they're doing the other person knows that they need to stop yeah so you know and i know that most children don't understand that concept but that's something that i'm working on with my children they have disabilities themselves um so that was something that you know i kind of struggled with growing up and saw the lack of education around that and i wanted it to be different for my kids i didn't want my kids to be in a position where they felt that they couldn't give consent or they didn't know how to give consent they didn't know what consent was yes so yes so much education needs and that's where it needs to start is around what is consent you know who can give consent who can withdraw consent when can we withdraw consent and i think definitely um how can we give consent as well and also providing that space where they are believed and heard because I also feel that that's probably a big issue as well around women with um, these types of disabilities is they're most likely uh, not believed or respected so how can we kind of ensure that these types of issues are resolved and that these women are believed and heard yeah Look, I think this issue exists in in society without people with disabilities. So, you know, if we're looking at women just in general, people in general, reporting, and there is still that stigma around reporting and, you know, is it believed? So if that issue exists in, you know, the wider community, then it's so much deeper in people with disabilities. There is so much more of a fight that they have to endure just to be believed or just to be heard 
And if you have somebody that, um, you know, it has communication issues and is potentially, say, nonverbal, how do they give? How do they tell their story, and how are they believed when they don't? They don't, might not have the words, yeah, or the you know the, the expressive words to yes. say this is what happened. So, how do we provide a safe space and support women who do have those issues? Pardon, people in general who do have those issues, such as being nonverbal or having. Um, you know, auditory or communication problems, or even just don't have that cognitive headspace mm-hmm. to believe that what they've experienced is in fact wrong or disrespectful to them. How do we support people like that? I think what we need to start with is around, you know, not only educating people with disabilities, but also educating the people that support them. Yeah. And, you know, ensuring that they're able to pick up on, you know, changes in behavior and go, hey, okay, I've noticed a change in behavior. Has something happened? Is there something going on that we need to explore? Um, I think, you know, having your team around you know sort of what's going on, you know, yeah, they're not the experts in how to to deal with when something has happened. And that's where... uh, you know, services like this service can help, um, but it needs to be identified first. Yeah. And, you know, having those people around that, you know, education comes from not just educating that person, but the people around the person uh, to, yeah, to pick up and to then help them navigate, advocate for them and navigate through the system. Yes, and um, unfortunately, in terms of statistics, the abuse rate is higher when the um, person with a disability is not at home. So if they're at respite, if they're at an institution, if they have extra medical support around them, why do you feel that that is and how can we kind of keep those people safe and secure? Yeah, it's, you know, as a mum... Nobody will ever love, care, advocate for your children like you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when people are away from you, then, you know, it's harder to see, you know, you don't know what happens yes. all of the time. You can't see when they're there physically with you, you can see what's going on. Or when they kind of come back into your care, you know, as a mum, generally you can see, okay, something's different here. You know, there's a change in behaviour and, you know, all of that. Um, But, yeah, there is a massive issue, not just in uh, uh, sexual trauma, but in all all sorts of trauma. emotional, physical trauma as well. Um, There's a lot of power issues too. Um, Even financial abuse as well. So how can we ensure that with the people that we support who are away from us for whatever reason how can we kind of instill in them strategies that make them uh, less prone to being taken advantage of that is a really good question and one that I wish I had an answer for yeah um, you know yes I am actively or I want to actively change this landscape um, and it's something that I'm working towards. Um, one thing I can say is 
checking in with the person and you know and as best we can providing them with a care team that is safe and that you know the, the that there's a um a connection with the you know the person and their team and you know individuals within their team and um you know like what you're saying should not happen you know we shouldn't be having this conversation but it does and it it happens at an alarming rate it's and, so unbelievably common oh it, it it's it's more common than not you know it's mm. more likely to happen than not and yeah, not and, to happen. and the statistics are just, you know, those are documented alone. I'm yeah. sure in reality it's much higher yeah. um, because the reporting complex, I assume, sorry, the reporting, um, how to report, I'm assuming, is very complex as well. Yeah. And again, if you're saying that, you know, the person may be nonverbal or they might have communication or psychological issues, the reporting process must be way more complex than that i mean i've um looked at it myself there's a lot of paperwork a lot of evidence or documentation how can we make it more easier for these uh people to report yeah see the issue you have is you know yes the person themselves might have issues reporting but the person that generally would be reporting for them is more likely experiencing care burnout than not so even for them to kind of navigate the paperwork on their behalf is actually extremely difficult so it's not just the person that that it's happened to but also you know the the people around them that might also struggle especially if it's you know a parent that's having to do that um and having to you know kind of be believed and you know if the evidence is you know lacking then it becomes so much more difficult to you know you you then got uh the the story is then getting passed from person to person so it changes yeah it, it can change and you know it can get diluted or you know it could also happen the other way where it's you know something happens but then when it's reported it's um magnified yeah um so yeah, there's a lot of issues with with this process and I think even um, a lot of people that are in this situation that have experienced something, they might not even know the extent in which they've experienced trauma, um, you know, and a lot of that goes back to that communication and can they effectively communicate what's happened can they cognitively understand what's happened Mm -hmm. you know um they might report something physical but what about all the stuff that happens around that you know grooming and things like that that they might not be aware of and you know they just think that that person is their friend and yes you know not understand the complexities of what actually happened yes so if they then go to you know they somehow are able to communicate with somebody that something happened or something is no noticed in you know change of behavior or whatever um it, it's really hard to actually get that that whole picture um and you have the issue of you know yes we want to report it but we also need to work with that person and 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 treat what's 
what's happened. But without even professionals having, you know, trauma training and, you know, all of the training they need to then be able to effectively work with that person, you know, I'm sure you can see how complex the situation is. And we haven't even reported yet. You know, we're not even up to that point. And, you know, I know a lot of people that have experienced... Uh, sexual trauma that aren't necessarily in the disability world struggle with reporting and struggle with that that whole process of um, you know documenting what's happened and you know doing that so you then add all of the complexities we've spoken about previously and it's like how how does this happen like how you know if it's hard to believe somebody that doesn't have communication issues or cognitive issues how do they do you believe somebody that has experienced this and how do you go through that process and you know and and like you mentioned like what the statistics are reported statistics you know like the women that i work with most are undiagnosed so they wouldn't even even if they reported what had if anything had happened to them what had happened they wouldn't fall in those statistics because they're undiagnosed. They don't or have they that were, piece of paper. That's right. Or they were undiagnosed at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, I, I feel that the statistics itself are grossly underreported, and for multiple reasons. Um, or they could be under the age of fifteen. Correct. Yeah. So just two more questions. So you focused on change of behaviour. Um, what are kind of signs um, that carers, people should look out for if they have a suspicion that the person with the cognitive or psychosocial disability might experience uh, trauma? Yeah, so... Oh, that's all right. Is she been, does she need something? Um, it could be the smallest change in behaviour to it could be something that's actually quite sort of obvious to sort of pick up so um your more obvious things are uh, withdrawing so you know they might have been an you know quite active social person and then now they don't want to go out anymore mm-hmm. um you know they want to stay home and you know uh not participate in in the world the way that they were participating in the world um aggression is something that has come out as well that i've noticed different people experiencing where it's like they just get angry and you know and and that's it different to how they they were previously um you know when you talk about going you know oh you're going here today and you know they might you know not want to go to that specific place or you might see that there's oh hang on there's you know they've never reacted like that before whatever whatever the reaction is but just being the reaction is different to how they previously would react to, oh, you're going to this place today, mm-hmm. uh, or you're going with this person today. Um, you know, so it's, it's really hard to, to kind of pinpoint uh, certain behaviours, but, yeah, it can be something really, really small to really obvious and big changes that mm-hmm. are... Um, yeah, and, and it could be that they actually disclose and just go, no, I don't want to go... To that place because this happened and um 
I think believing, you know, we touched on that before, but believing is a big thing. And, yeah. and if something is reported or, and it, it could just be, it might not be a, a full disclosure. It could be something little, but sort of being mindful of, of those, those things and the, the changes in uh, behavior. And yes. Yeah. So could it be something as minor as not even kind of fully disclosing it as something like, I don't want to go there because something bad happened to me or I don't want to go with that person because I just don't want to. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It could be as simple as I don't want to go there. Nothing more than I don't want to go there. And, you know, trying to work out, okay, what's, has something happened or, you know, it could be completely innocent and they just, they don't like being in that place. Um, and I think that's actually something to explore anyway is that, you know, as adults we for the most part we get to choose the things that we want to do and if somebody doesn't want to go to you know say their day program or whatever it is they're participating in they're an adult Mm -hmm. and they have a you know a right to to choose how they live their life so being respectful of that and it could just be really innocent as I don't want to be there I don't like going there yes so just one more sorry pardon me just one more topic so in terms of verbal and non-verbal if someone verbally with a cognitive or a psychosocial disability has disclosed to you that something has happened um how can we best support that and what should the process be um it depends it depends how it's reported or what's reported so if we're talking about a family member that's just come up to us and reported it, uh, it would be, um, depending on their age as well, but encouraging them to, um, you know, like these are your options. We can go to the police and we can report that. We can find, you know, counselling is definitely something that needs to be explored there and finding trauma-informed um, counselors that have experience in sexual trauma is really important um, if you're working for an organization every organization will have their own reporting procedures of how that sort of how you go about that so it really it's it's not real, an easy question to answer yes. but you know I think bottom sort of bottom line would be ensuring that person is getting uh, Support from a trained professional. Yes, and making sure that they have access to um, to that support. Yes, and what if they're non-verbal or they struggle with verbal communication? Because I'm sure the process must be a lot more difficult or entirely different at all. Yeah, so it would still it'd be the same. It would be making sure that they are getting some, you know. Uh, support from somebody who's trained and experienced in this area and you know if you can have somebody that's also trained and experienced in dealing with people that are non-verbal um touching back on that verbal versus non-verbal um when even people that are verbal can become non-verbal whether it be in uh within consent or within disclosing or whatever it um, you know, pe- people can kind of shut down in that way and and experience uh, becoming nonverbal. 
Um, I know I've worked with a client previously who, when anything now as an adult comes down to dealing with um, relationships or anything like that, becomes completely non-verbal. They are normally verbal, um, but that trauma triggers that, okay, well, I, I don't have a voice and you know, they completely shut down. So, um, you know, going back to the question that you asked, you would look at it the same way and just make sure that the person has an opportunity to feel heard uh, and has an opportunity to, you know, find their voice, whether that be, you know, we're writing it down or, um, you know, however it needs to look, but it has to be somebody that is trained and that the person is able to connect with is, you know, you might find an amazing therapist to work with, but if the person can't connect with them, then, you know, the, the, the person that's experienced the trauma is not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yes. So definitely having that, that trust and that bond is essential, particularly for people with disabilities. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. All right, and that's a perfect way to finish this episode. Thank you so much, Kelly, for letting me interview you. And if you have any uh, comments, please reach out to the Blue Butterfly Institute and look forward to episode four. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Come on, from the heart of the mystery to years of violence. We are breaking the silence